0: I have Irv Stone from Barstow Barrels on the podcast today, and we're going to talk about the importance of aftermarket barrels in your pistol and why you just might want to replace that factory barrel. Before I talk to Irv, let's pay the bills. Today's episode is brought to you by Primary Arms. When I was in FFL, I did a lot of transfers for my customers here that bought online from Primary Arms. Primary Arms has great customer service and their transfers were always just perfect for me. As an FFL, everything I needed was right there when I needed it. My customers were really happy as well. Now that I'm not an FFL, I buy from Primary Arms. I don't buy everything, but I've switched a lot of my purchasing over to Primary Arms just because they got great customer service. I get my stuff in a reasonable amount of time. If you'd like to support the channel for free purchase through primary arms, but do it with the affiliate link down below. When you click on that link, it'll take you to primary arms, make your purchase and a small amount of your purchase will come back to the channel so that I can continue to bring you additional content. Greatest thing is it's not going to cost you one penny more you are already going to spend. Now with the bills paid, let's talk to Irv. Irv, tell me about your love of guns.
1: So first off, I'm Irv Stone. Um, name of our company is Barstow Precision. Uh, the basic history of the company is, is um, my dad um, and mom started it um, in about 1955. And um, originally we were doing aerospace prototype work is what my dad did, he was a tool and die maker by trade and um that industry kind of dropped out quite a bit and so he was always him and my uncle back in the late 40s used to do rifle building up in detroit my uncle was out of detroit originally um those old timers might know the name of the of the gun shop up there was called northwest gun shop he was part owner of that and they had gunsmith and gun builder over there and so, long story short, my dad was always into firearms and stuff like that. And he used he had seen in the American Rifleman about Jeff Cooper, the leather slap stuff that was going on up in Big Bear. And so he went up there, watched that a little bit, noticed that the guys were trying to accurize their 1911s, um, and they were welding up the factory barrels and and all that kind of stuff. Well, being my dad, who he was, he looked at that and went, "Well, I can make new ones." I can make them with all that material on them and this will get me through the slow times of the aerospace industry so he comes back to the shop we need some steel well he had ran um, the initial prototype and some um, original parts for the apollo moon rockets they were the hydraulic cylinders um, and so he had a piece that we tree pan out of the center it was a chunk of material that you remove out of the center it was 410 stainless so he said well i'll just make barrels out of that cuz it's scrap and i kept it so hence that's where the our first like i think the first 50 barrels were made from the scrap from those hydraulic cylinders and once we did that then jeff cooper come in found out about them so jeff cooper stopped by the shop and that was that was when him and my dad started you know kind of talking and hanging out and shooting together and stuff like that and so he put a barrel in put it in the american rifleman said hey look here this thing shoots really good and it just kind of grew from there and we never went back to the aerospace industry and have been making pistol barrels ever since, you know? And so the, um, the, the name of the company comes from Barstow, which is Barbara, my mom, and then Stowe Stone. So that's the basic history of that. <laughs> and then. That's um, amazing. It's yeah. funny, I
0: was going to ask you what Barstow stood for. Yeah. And, um, it's great that it's a, it's, you know, it goes back to your mom. It's yep. awesome. It,
1: yeah, it does. It does. It is great. And then, you know, and then at that point, we just kind of continued on. And then I kind of came in. I was I grew up shooting in the Southwest Pistol League down in um, Southern California, right? Because that's where we're from originally, Burbank. And um, first, when I was a kid, we used to go out um, West Thompson's um, range. It started in I think it was Sand Canyon um, and then um, went up to Piru and so we used to go out there and shoot and that was southwest Pistol league before it was there was ipsc or or um mm-hmm. ipsic yep. or, or uspsa or any of that and so i grew up doing that and i shot my first ipsic match when i think i was like nine or ten years old i was the youngest wow. that had ever, ever done it at that time and um so long story short that's kind of where we grew out of was from from that and um that's how i kind of got involved and then I'd been shooting and then my dad used to bring me into the shop and make me clean up and sweep up around the shop when I was young, you know, and then, um,
0: yeah.
1: you know, back in those days, you could, you could get work experience and, and a work permit at, at 14. And so I started working on the shop part-time, you know, after school and stuff like that from 14 and then I worked the summers and then just kind of been here ever since, you know, so.
0: But that, you know, that's really cool. Cause you know, I, yeah, I've read the history of Barstow um, right. and I didn't know that the first barrels were made out of scrap metal from the Apollo program. I mean, that's, yeah. that that's really cool. That's, I mean, that's a really cool beginning of a company right there.
1: It is. Um, it is.
0: <laughs> there's, there's so many gun, um, I don't want to say gun companies, but so many manufacturing of either guns or third party parts that came out of aerospace because I mean, let's face it, you're, Making a barrel, you don't just put a piece of steel in, drill a hole in it, and put a bullet through it. I mean, it takes it takes some engineering to do that to deal with the pressures and stuff like that yep. of those bullets. But, um, but I mean, really, ser- seriously, coming out of scrap metal from the Apollo system, you know, the Apollo days, that's awesome. Yeah. Um yeah. I always say I'm a I'm a sucker for a good story, and that is that's a great story right there. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So yeah, and then now, you know go ahead.
0: Go
1: Um, so yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, on the, you know, for now it's obviously, it's me and my wife, Lisa, who are running the place. You know, I started, I took over from my parents, I guess probably 25 years ago now. So, you know, my dad passed away and of course my mom's gone too. So it's just me and my wife now, you know,
0: but it's kind of great that you, you know, the, the legacy is living on through you. So I mean that that's really awesome. I mean, you you see so many companies where you know there's nobody to live that legacy on, and then either the company folds or the company disappears. Right. Um, or not disappears, it it kind of gets consumed, I guess I should say. Right. I was gonna say it
1: gets sold off, you know, really exactly. You know,
0: and then and then it just doesn't they're just not that company anymore. I mean. I know of a, a company back, back when I was an FFL, um, I had sold pistol barrels from kind of a competitor of yours. Right. And they got they got consumed mm-hmm. by a larger company and that company ceased. I mean, the name was still there, but this company ceased to exist. Right. Um yeah. the, the quality started going down, you know, they, that larger company starts screwing with the product.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: and I think they really bought that company because of, they wanted barrels, right? right. I, mean, I think they wanted, basically that became their, their match grade barrels. Right, for their production pistols, probably. So yeah. um, when I first ran into your products, is also when I was an FFL, you know, I got a call from a, a, well, what would be a customer where he goes, I bought this barrel and i went to go put it into my gun and it didn't fit and the first thing out of my mouth was you have a 1911 don't you and he's like yeah i'm like yeah just about everything 1911 and there's there's no real drop in for a 1911. um i mean you sometimes you can get away with it but most of that stuff needs fitting and then um he brought the gun in the barrel to me and i i did the fitting on it um now your barrels are either match target or semi-fit correct would you mind going through the difference of what a match target versus a semi-fit
1: sure absolutely well, we'll start with the semi-fit um basically semi-fit is we make all of it it's the you know the glock sigs 1911s berettas browning high powers um, xd series um, all of our stuff on our semi-fits are oversized from the factory barrels um, to take up the slop because Bottom line is is especially nowadays, unfortunately, um, the factory firearms, um, their dimensioning is a little bit it it floats a little, we'll say, and yeah. so you yeah. know, so what you have to do is is you you know if you're going to buy, my opinion, you know if you're going to buy a um, a semi-fit barrel or a replacement barrel, period, it should be better than the factory. It should shoot more accurate. It should be better. Um, So to do that, it's got to fit better, you know, bottom line, if it doesn't fit better, then what are you getting other than maybe a color and some cuts on it, but it's still not any better than the factory barrel. So we got the semi fit has more material than the factory barrel, but still we try to fit it in between because we'll have, you know, we get we fit everything we make. So we have, we see a lot of these guns come through. So we kind of know the, the span of the dimensions and we try to hit something that's going to take up the majority of those, um, tolerance issues. Um, and sometimes you just, they they have to, they're, you know, they're going to require some minor fitting usually just because we're trying to hit the, You know, we're trying not to do too much, but we're trying not to be too little because then you're just doing a sloppy drop in. And what's the point? So the semi fits have a little more material on the locking lengths, a little bit more material on that under lug area. Um, And those are usually the areas that require some minor fitting. Now on the match targets, those are completely oversized. Wide hoods, long locking grooves, lots of material on the under lug. Um, And so that way, when you get it, you'll have to machine that barrel to fit The individual weapon. Period. Um, You know, we have seen from a couple of the manufacturers some some dimensions that have grown over times in their series of a specific series of firearm, and so we've had to increase on our match targets even the amount of material we provide on those, so that way you have to fit them because there's been some of those guns that even the match target barrels have gone into, which was pretty crazy because we've done a lot of that stuff. So. You know, that's, those are the differences between the two. Um, And like I said before, you know, if you're going to buy a replacement barrel, I think my personal opinion is, is that it should be better in a factory. It should shoot more accurate than the factory period. Um, If you're buying it for, you know, if you're looking for something that's just bling, then we're probably not the company for you because it's (laughs) not going to drop in. You know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to fit it. Not that our barrels aren't, aren't pretty and well finished and, you know, nice looking it's just that if you're looking for something just because i want a gold barrel or i want a purple barrel or i want whatever we're probably not the guys for you because you're going to have to fit our barrels you know so we can't put a coating on it before it's fit because the coatings are generally very hard so then yeah. fitting them makes it really difficult so hence the reason
0: yeah it's funny cuz we'll, we'll get to it later but i one of the things on i think on your um, custom guns that you say is your, your your products are designed to be used. Exactly. <laughs> right?
1: Absolutely. I mean,
0: you're when you buy something from Barstow, it's ex- you expect it to be used. I mean, yes. that's why you design the product the way it is. It's not, you know, it's not designed to be a safe queen. I mean, you're dealing with, you know, match grade barrels and you don't put money into a match grade barrel unless, well, you're trying to get the most out of your gun. Exactly um, for accuracy. So and, you know, and there is, you know, the the Gucci Glock days and stuff like that where people are just blinging out those guns. That's great. You know, it, it's, it's cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like looking yeah. at a rainbow colored barrel, but that's for me. I'm a practical pistol shooter, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have a very specific need for a pistol, um, even with, you know, going through competition, if, if I need that gun to go off you know i need to go bang every time i need the bullets to go where where i intend them to, to go <laughs> yes um and you know even though um you know a factory barrel's not bad not bad but you know. but there's but there's there's more to be gained out of that pistol by by moving out of a factory a factory barrel exactly
1: there's room for improvement by far
0: exactly exactly i mean you know there's you know i think of i think of the old 1911 days um you know especially like the 1911s that have been well used they rattle yeah um some some of the newer guns i mean they've they built they're not quite tight tolerances right correct i mean in order to get i want to say reliability out of their gun they have to loosen up their tolerances
1: right and, and also um, you know And also for when they're building the guns, um, how much time do you, you know, if you're building say 5,000 guns a year, okay. Well, if you have eight or 10 people putting them together, you can afford to fit all the parts. But if you're building a hundred thousand or 75,000 guns, you don't want them to have to sit there and fit the stuff you want it. They want them, you want them to literally just put it together put it in the box and ship it. So when you buy a, a firearm, that's from XYZ company, that's, Oh, this is match, you know, style, but they make, you know, 75,000 of these guns a year,
0: not so, they much, match.
1: Not so much match. Yeah. It may say it, but they really, you know, it's, yeah. these are all pre things that are pre fit that go together. You know, they, they there's no yeah. fitting in there. You know, they can't afford to do that in that kind of um, production setting. So like,
0: well and that's a lot of the new guns. Um and I I keep coming back to the 1911 because the right. 1911 is is a perfect pistol when you talk about building a gun. Most of the guns that we have now are assembled. Yes. Right? Correct. 1911 is a built gun and even the even the modern 1911s that that companies are still putting out, they're still hand fit. I mean, you get into some of the big gun manufacturers and those guns are, they, they under, they undersize everything. Cause I mean, everything in a 1911 is, is custom fit. They undersize everything. So that way they get that production line gun, right. right. You know, so that way they can get the most of them out of there. But when you start dealing with, uh, you know, tighter tolerances, uh, higher accuracy, production line stuff is just, it's just, not going to do it i mean no. like like you said you know, there are there's a certain company that will just say makes their pistols out overseas mm-hmm. um that they sell a standard and a match right and the difference between that it is is they put an m on the back side of the model number right but that's not i mean the only thing match about that is that they tightened up the tolerances of uh the um, not the barrel the um the chamber right, right? and then they call it match <laughs> just because yeah. just because the chambers just a, a little bit tighter Correct. um yeah now uh, on your on your pistol on your pistol barrels you know well talk to me a little bit about your chambers I mean obviously you're making match barrels like actual you know right competition barrels you're doing the same thing in your chambers as well right <laughs>
1: Yeah, our chambers are um, semi-fit and match target. They're the exact same chamber, but they are tighter than the factory, so there's no doubt. Um, we have a special 9 millimeter reamer that we have ground that's um, a little tighter, got a little different lead on it. Um, our 38 Super Chamber is a little tighter, a little different lead on that. Um, 45 is is a match configuration, 10mm slash 40, same thing. Um, <clears throat> You know, you can need to have a little chamber support, of course, Mm -hmm. Um, but it also helps for us reloaders um, when you're shooting stuff. When the brass doesn't expand so far that you have to worry about sizing it back down. You know, um, when you run it through the sizing die and it's five thousandths over, there's a you know there's a couple companies that make a nine millimeter chamber that's five thousandths over Sammy maximum Sammy spec. Then you go to size it, it still springs back over Sammy spec. Well, then you put it in a mid level chamber, yep. it doesn't fit, you know? And so we, you know, we, I always tell everybody is if you shoot stuff through our barrel, once you get your brass started in our barrel, it'll last a freaking long time. Cause it's not expanding so far, you know? Yeah.
0: And, and where I really ran into problems with match grade barrels is in forties, right? Yep. The, the Glock bulge. I mean, Mm -hmm. the the webbing in the backside of the 40s is is a little weak. Um, Glock does not have a fully supported chamber Mm -hmm. and it bulges out the backside of that brass. And then, um, you know, I'm a reloader. So I pick up, I pick up, you know, I I call myself a brass halt
1: absolutely range brass man i'll tell you i I, you know know, no offense yeah no offense to anybody but i'm a i'm a brass whore too you know i I, that's the way i am so
0: so yeah you just you just pick it up then no 40 is notorious because the glock of the glock bulge um i actually have to run in my press uh it's from egw as a as a u-die so it's undersized
1: yep Yep, in order, the...
0: you know, I, I run a i run a Dillon 650. So, you know, mm-hmm. getting a full case um, sizing is just not possible in, in a Dillon unless you're, you know, you have to run them through single stage presses to get them all the way through or roll size them. Or roll size um, them, yeah. So, so I use the u die that gets as far down as possible and slightly undersizes it. That way, when I do shoot a match grade barrel, which... um I don't shoot forty as much as I used to. Yeah, yeah. Forty was forty was one of those things that came out really hot and died. Everyone back went back to nine millimeter. Um, but I always know with that you die. I can I can run that forty through anybody, even a You know, even somebody's match grade barrel. But you have to make sure that you understand the tolerances of your barrel when you're exactly. when you're shooting
1: that's right you know i always love the reloading it's kind of a good subject to be on because that's the one thing that i get a lot of i've been reloading for 35 years (laughs) and my ammo is fine it's like sir or you know excuse me but you know you've gotten away with it because the chambers and all those factory barrels that you've been shooting are oversized our barrel our chamber is is middle sammy spec that's why you bought it that's what it helps you with your accuracy so you need to tailor your reloads oh no my relays reloads are just fine it's like they send them in and they're they got the bulge and they're they're not yeah. crimped. you know they're you know they're, they've got a bell at the muzzle like that and you know on the on the case you know they're not or they're <laughs> straight walled and then they've got a burr on them. i mean and the bullet's crooked i mean all of these things and these guys are like oh my reloads are fine it's like sir no they're not I don't, I can't, you know, and you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, but the same token, you know, if you're buying, you know, it's, there was a saying that we used to use years ago that we'd always say is, you know, you, you pull up with your Ferrari and you put, you know, 85 octane in it. (laughs) It's not going to run very well, you know,
0: Yeah,
1: you got to have high octane stuff to make it run. And, you know, and it's factory ammo, you know, all your good name brand factory ammos run fine. That's what I always ask. Well, how's the factory? Oh, it works perfect. There you go. You know, you
0: have an ammunition problem. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
1: (laughs) You know, so. Well, it's,
0: it's funny because, I mean, people buy these barrels and, and, you know, everybody buys a a new match grade barrel or spend money on the barrel, which is great. Yeah. Um, you're getting the most out of your gun, but the barrel is only part of the, of the system. Right. Yeah. You, you know, the, if you have bad ammo, you're not going to get the performance. Right. right. I mean, you know, for me, like my nine millimeter loads, I've developed them for, for competition. Um, you know, I'm going, I'm not worried about, you know, necessarily the speed of the bullet. I mean, I am worried a little bit because i want to make sure the bullet does exit the barrel. Right. <laughs> but I'm also I'm also tailoring it for recoil, because I've I've tweaked I tweaked my gun for the recoil spring and Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So that way I can have a a lighter recoiling gun. And, um, you know, for the channel, I do, um, you know, reviews, gun reviews. Right. And, you know, I'll go to the range and I'll take my reloads with me. Um, it just happened to me a couple of weeks ago. Well, actually over the past couple of months, uh, month and a half, I've been testing a new gun. That gun hates my reloads. (laughs) Well, of course it does because it's light recoiling. I mean, this is just, this is a factory gun. Right. It's light yeah. recoiling. Um, I'm getting stove, you know, you get stove pipes and yeah, stuff like yeah. that because, so it's like, okay, cool. You know, this is obviously an ammunition thing, but that's why I bring factory ammo with me too. But I always like to shoot the reloads to it just be- just to see, right? Right. So, but yeah, once you once you go into, um, you know, the factory ammo, the gun's performing just like it should, I'm like, okay, it, it definitely doesn't like light recoiling ammo. It, it wants a heavier, um, heavier powder charge to it. But I've seen some people that show up to the range, and that's all they have is reloads, and they're shooting a new gun, and they're having you know all these problems: failure to extract, um, stovepipes. You know, they're having all these these problems. You know, type one, type two, type three problems with, yeah, yeah. with you know, failures with their guns. And they're like, I I was there one time when I, I, you know, someone was shooting literally the same gun I am and they're having nothing but problems. And they're going, this is the worst gun in the world. I'm like, that's a pretty reliable gun. You you know, even coming off the, off, you know, the showroom floor, Right. you know, it's, it's, it has, it doesn't have any problems. I go, what are you shooting? Well, it's reloads, I go, hair, here's, here's like five, factory rounds run this through it. And the problem goes away. I'm like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you have an ammunition problem. Right. (laughs) I mean, you don't have a problem with the gun. And I think a lot of people complain, complain about the gun uh, barrels and all that stuff. And the problem, the problem can be two other options. It can be shooter error or ammunition. Absolutely. And and they don't think about that.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things that we see a lot of on that, just, you know, obviously, Reloads are one thing, but the other thing you see is is when you tighten a gun up, you know, we fit the barrel up, it's snug. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. those of us that have shot tens of thousands of rounds, we never have a problem with the gun functioning. It doesn't yeah. not an issue at all because we grip the gun. A lot of people weak wrist the firearms. You look yeah. at people on the range and they're just slapping the wrist slap and and then they take a you tighten the firearm up and then they go out and they shoot it and it says, Oh man, it doesn't function. It's short stroking or whatever. Will grip the gun. Well, try to tell somebody, try to mention that to somebody, you know. Try to tell them, yeah. hey, your weak wrist in the gun. Oh boy, the, talk about they get all bent out of shape. It's like I'm holding the gun I, just I, fine, you know.
0: Yeah. I've been shooting for 30 years. Yeah, you're yeah. gonna tell me how <laughs> <Yeah. that>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and
1: I don't want to be mean. I don't, I'm not trying to be little person at all. I'm trying to help them, you know, but yet boy, some people just get you know so a lot of time we you know so we've done anymore is is sometimes when somebody will send something back in and the gun will run fine for us we'll videotape it you know and send them a little flash drive with the gun that we're firing at the range and we're not just firing one or two rounds you know we'll put four or five full magazines of uh, you know we'll lay the ammo and go look here's different ammos and shoot it and then you send that flash drive back and then you never hear from them again you know because it's like okay well it ran for them and it's like I, you know i try to tell customers i'm not going to send you a firearm back that doesn't work why the heck would i spend the time to fit a barrel take it out to the range and shoot it and go okay it doesn't work and then send it back to you to, to have you call and go man it's not working you know this and that and whatever yeah. why would we do that that's that doesn't make any sense even if we were just trying to make a buck it still doesn't make any sense you
0: know <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um what, what's so funny is um thinking about the shooter error. I remember when the Glock 26 came out. Yeah, um, my father and I—I I was living in Maryland at the time. We had bought these Glock 26s, and they weren't even on the Maryland roster yet. They were sitting at the FFL. Um, seven days later, they became on the roster. We waited our waiting period, all that neat, happy crap that we had to do. We took them to the game, uh, to the to the range, and we couldn't hit like the broadside of a barn with these things. You know, my father and I were looking at him like, you know, both of us were, we were shooting. You yeah. know, I've been shooting for 20 years at the time and him a lot longer, obviously. So, you know, we're sitting there and then at the range just happens to be one of the ROs. She shot Ipsic. Right. And she's like, oh, cool. This is one of those new Glock 26s, right? Like, yeah. And she goes, you mind if I shoot? We're like, hey, go ahead. We, we don't we don't we don't like them. We can't shoot him." You know, she picks that thing up and just drills the target. Right in the X ring. Right. Yeah, you know, looking at my father, and he's looking at me like, "Oh," she goes, "Yeah, that's pretty cool." And we're like, "Yeah, obviously, this is shooter, shooter error." Shooter error. You know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah Which, when, when she picks it up, and she knows her guns, and she competes with guns, and he, and she's not like the casual, com, com, you know, competition shooter like I am. Yeah. I mean, she's like on that firing line every weekend, competing for you know prizes. Right. She, yeah, you know, I, I, I remember the just the look of my father's face. We're just like, yeah, we got to work on this. Yeah, we got to work like, on why why this gun's not uh, not working for us. It's like, damn like, it, it is me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. We're like, yeah, we're gonna have to like drift the sights. You know, yeah. we're, we're 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 down to the point where you know we got to move sights because this thing is just not shooting straight. And we're like, uh, yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> that's, A little that's humbling, you have isn't that. it? Yeah. yeah it's it's a total humbling experience when you when that happens right in front of you yeah <laughs> you yeah, know yeah um, I mean do you get things like that a lot where people just don't know I mean how do you I, you you talked about it. obviously you get it but I mean how do you I want to say politically correct <laughs> yeah. tell them that's the shooter error well
1: that's really difficult because you you know again, I'm not trying to, you know, we're not trying to belittle somebody. We're not trying to say, Hey, you need to practice shooting more. You just don't shoot well enough. So what we generally will do is, is I'll go out to the range, um, and, and go shoot the gun over a machine rest or over, you know, sandbags. And we videotaped that a couple of times and then show the accuracy of what we're getting and show the ammo that we're shooting and say look you know this is what we're getting this is the ammo that we're shooting you know here's the test targets and send the targets back to the customer and kind of leave it at that you
0: know they kind of figure it out they kind
1: of figure it out from there because you know you know not everybody is i always laugh this is we're not all um you know us jerks behind the trigger not all of us are are you know bullseye type Competitor shooters you know we're not like a right. dougie or we're not a you know we're not a robbie or any of those guys you know we're not any of those you know most of us are not we're mere mortals and you know all of us shoot differently and and are don't shoot as well as we you know as some of those guys do that shoot one hundred fifty thousand rounds a year you know so <laughs> you know you, you, you try you don't want to you know i again i, I just we're not trying to you know we don't want to attack or belittle or whatever a customer you know but we want them sure. to know that hey we are providing the product that we're saying we're doing it does shoot well it's kind of like here look this is what it does it, it really is and then they kind of figure it out like you said themselves so
0: cool now yeah you know, we've been talking about reloading right uh we've obviously been talking about reloaded ammo through your barrels right what is Barstow's, you know, official stance, because you always hear, you know, from like manufacturers, don't shoot reloaded ammo. What What is your stance on reloaded ammo?
1: You know, if you, if you reload um, and keep your loads within published um, reloading data, you know, stuff that's the reloading books and that kind of stuff, shoot as many reloads as you want, because that's part of it. You know, I'm a reloader. You know, I don't reload hardly as much as I used to anymore because just for the plain and simple fact that it's, uh, um, you know, uh, we're just too, so dang busy. Sorry about the phone, by yeah. the way. I, oh, that's fine. You know, <laughs> uh, all good. yeah, you know, um, I uh, didn't think about shutting that off. <laughs> that's
0: okay, because when you were talking, my cell phone started ringing. Yeah. i like, oh, crap, yeah. where's my cell phone? <laughs> I got to shut that off. Yeah.
1: So, um, <laughs> But, you know, shoot it that's the reload stuff. That's part of it. I mean, that's really one of the things that you get with us. You can shoot lead through ours. It's okay. Um, you know, you can shoot reloads through it. It's okay. Um, I don't recommend, I don't officially recommend anybody shoot more than what the published data is, but being an old, but being an old IPSC, you know, shooter back from when, you know, major was 180. Um, I won't tell you that we didn't test, you know, make power factor <laughs> with nine millimeter th- and and thirty eight super stuff all the time. You know, yeah. I I mean I remember when it was what was it two two hundred or two ten? No. Because it was it was gauged off of the old ball th- two hundred and thirty green ball forty five yeah. ACP loads. You know, so yeah. I I'm not a I'm I'm more than fine with reloaders. You know, biggest problem I see is is guys not understanding that um you can light charge a load and blow a blow it up just as easy as double charging a load and blow it up, you know? Yeah. They don't yeah, understand, it, you know?
0: It, it. I mean, there's, let's face it, there's some physics going on inside that gun, right? Yes, there is. Um, and if you don't, if you're not paying attention to what you're doing, it's, bad things can happen. I yeah. mean, I I know of a buddy of mine, he, um, he, he, he he learned to shoot in the Marines. So he's right. he's from Texas and all that stuff. And then he went into the Marines, and I mean, so he really shot in the right. Marines. And then uh, he does not shoot other people's reloads at all, right? Because he doesn't trust other people's reloads. And I I got talking to him one time. I'm like, so tell me about this stuff. I mean, you you know, we've been with each other for a long time. You we've competed with each other, um, and he's like, yeah, I'm getting to the point where I could trust your reloads, but I remember in the core, I was out shooting with a buddy of mine. We we're out shooting. I think they were shooting like a 44 Magnum. This guy had, he's out there shooting and that thing is just like, boom, big flame coming through it. And goes more than normal. And he's just doing, it's like every shot. And he's like, what are you shooting? And he goes, oh, these are some reloads I did. And he's like, how are you making them? Because oh, I just take a little scoop and it scoops the powder. in." And he's like, you realize you're supposed to measure that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep, <laughs> yeah exactly. I, just, I just scoop it in the cartridge is full. And like, it's like, oh, so you're compressing you're compressing it on top of the
1: oh man. Yeah. He's like
0: he goes ever since that he goes, I saw that. He goes, There's no way I'm shooting anybody else's reloads.
1: Yep. <laughs> yep, exactly. And you know, I've had people before say I'm shooting really light loads. And it's like well, do you understand that you know you have the primer hole? and if the powder is below that primer hole and when that primer goes off it flashes across all that powder and it creates a detonation instead of burning because the powder is supposed to burn forward so if you flash exploded it it turns into a little explosion Explosion. and it blows and pops the top of the barrel off it or blows the gun up you know i have a gun in there that i did i was doing some testing on for a company for a lawsuit that i blew up a, a a glock 21 with our barrel in it we did a compression load on it and it was 11 and a half grains of 231 on 180 grain bullet the first <laughs> round it first round it held the second round it split split the the top off of the gun blew the slide back, blew the pieces. I have it laying in my – we have a little area where you can walk in, and I got all kinds of stuff out there for people to look at, and that gun's there. I kept that gun. So, But that was from a lawsuit for a company years ago that they wanted me to um, do some testing and stuff. So that was an interesting one. I had a mid-on. I was around the side of a building, and I fired it, and the gun just boom, <laughs> and it, it exploded. It, sh- it hit the sli- – shot the slide all the way back and hit the side of the truck about 20 feet behind me you know it, it's amazing you know so I, I i completely understand what it's like to have stuff go off you know i've blown ma- i've been an ipsic shooter over the years i've blown many a magazine base and yeah. the bottoms right out of the booth, right out of the bottom of the gun you know so
0: I, I had a gun that i sold somebody once um and uh it was a reloader right Oh. He goes, "Hey, I got to send this gun back to Glock." I'm like, "Okay." He is He is, "The Glock, the Glock's, Glock's going to do some work on it." I'm like, "Oh, whatever, you know, no problem bringing it in." He brings it in, the thing is the the frame is like destroyed. I go, "What would you do?" He goes, yeah, "I reached for the wrong powder when I reloaded." Oof. And this thing with this thing detonated in his hand. I'm like, his hand was, it wasn't bad, but it was a little bandage. He right. had a little bandage on it. I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my like, pride. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, so what's Glock going to do to this gun? Because, I mean, that frame is destroyed. He goes, yeah, Glock cut me a deal. Um, you know, I told him what I did. And Glock cut him a deal for a new frame. Right. They just, they wanted the old one back. They were going to cut it dispose of the frame give them a new one it was going to come back through my logbooks, and I'm like wow that's uh, pretty amazing cuz um I wouldn't expect Glock to to do that especially no. since you said what you did because yeah and, um it's it, you you reloading can be dangerous you really yes, need can. to pay attention to what you're doing yeah um and I'm glad you brought up the the short powder thing because I've seen that happen, too, where, you know, people are like, well, I don't want this thing to to cycle as much. Um, Like, "Okay, but there is you still need to understand what's going on with your gun. I mean, if you want if you want to lighten that load up and even if that bullet is going to travel at the correct velocities and all that stuff, you may have to change your powder to fill the cartridge. Correct. Correct. To do that. I mean, yeah, sure. You know, at, at this many grains of this powder, that bullet's going to travel at this velocity. You're within specs. But, yeah, you need to pay attention to where that is.
1: Where that is. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So, and then you get your squib load, guys.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I, had, I had a customer. Um, it was a Springfield XDM uh-huh. uh, that, that he had bought for his kid to start doing competition shooting. And... uh he was at a competition and uh the kid squeezed the trigger and got a pop. And uh, huh, tap, rack, back and boom. Send another one down the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you, I am amazed at that barrel because it, it bulged the barrel. The yep. barrel did, the barrel held it. Yep. And uh I, I see him like, coming all the time. I like, wow, I'm I am I am really impressed that, that barrel held.
1: Yep. Um, We've, I've I've had quite a few of them over the years, guys send them in. I don't know what happened. There's a bulge in the barrel. Uh or it or it's you know it's it's got a ring in it or what have you. And so they'll send it in, I'll look at it. You can see right where the bullet hit. I said yeah. you stuck a bullet. Oh no, no, I didn't stick a bullet. I didn't have a squib load. Yeah, you
0: did. Yeah you know
1: our, Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, honestly, our every barrel we manufacture comes from a solid billet chunk of material that we machine here in-house we heat treat them, we magna them. So we check them for hardness, make sure everyone 100% um, hardness checked, 100% and certified magna which is basically check them for cracks 100% mm-hmm. check, not just a not a one out of here, one out of there 100%. I have certifications for everything for every part before we start machining it, that those are done. And then they go through the machining process. So when a guy goes, oh, well, there's a ring in it or it's got a crack in it and the barrel, you know, the it barrel just cracked, you know, and then you look at that it and like, you can see that the, the barrel yeah. didn't just crack. There's a big ring in it. You can see where the bullet hit. Oh, no, yeah. it just cracked, you know, whatever. And it's like, OK, and then and if the guys are reasonable, we always help them out. But, you know, if if you try to sneak something by us, <laughs> eh, not yeah. so much. I'm sorry. You know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, just tell just tell me right just, yeah exactly you know, because because if you don't tell me all, all i'm doing is just wasting my time exactly
1: right? yeah
0: so, so well speaking of that um now you make everything out of 416 stainless
1: correct? yes correct correct
0: so why did you choose 416 stainless why not you know chrome molly or anything like that
1: um you know for obviously corrosion um Force you know stainless doesn't rust as quickly or as easily as you know chromoly or steels you know there's Mm -hmm. um there's a little bit more nickel and some other things that help keep it from from rusting um so that's why we picked the stainless was so that way it's a little less maintenance for the customer so if you don't clean it you know, after you shoot it, which I'm very guilty of, I'll shoot yeah, and, and bring the gun and throw it back in the gun bag and I won't clean it for a thousand rounds and then go, oh, I guess I should clean that up. Yeah. You know, you don't have any issues. You don't have those little rust pits or anything like that from in there. Um, and, you know, we use what I call it's an aircraft grade, but it's really it's a it's a direct 416 stainless. We don't use the 416 R. Um And the reason i don't is is because most of the 416r won't heat treat up to our heat treat spec we like our material to be 39 to 43 rockwell c um and we shoot for 40 right in the middle so and the r generally will only get up to about 38 you know 37. you know there are some that they've blended to get them a little harder but then at that point you don't get the idea of the r is to make it freer machining so at that point if you're up into the the rockwell that it can that we're running then you may as well just use the standard 416 because it's giving you the same same deal
0: sure so and that that's the kind of cool plus the cool thing with stainless is is, you know especially if you have a you know a, a a glock or anything you get kind of a two-tone with it too right exactly you know, yeah i mean stainless yeah. steel barrels are kind of cool right
1: <laughs> yeah i i like the look you know some guys like well, i do too want them, you know they want a black or whatever and that's fine but um you know i i like the stainless look kind of shows that you got something you know
0: yeah exactly right it's just it, it, well and that's kind of the thing is i mean you know if you want to bling it up a little bit but not go overboard just throw a stainless barrel in and then when you get to the range you pull it out everyone's going to go, away. that's." Yeah, it's a stainless barrel. Exactly. <laughs> so
1: that's not a factory barrel. What do you got in there? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, you got it, yeah. it. Definitely
0: is the conversation starter, right?
1: Yep. Exactly. Exactly.
0: So, so speaking of conversation starters, um, conversion barrels. Um, right. Talk a little bit about conversion barrels because I don't think people understand that you know you know, you buy like a Glock 22, mm-hmm. which is 40 caliber. So, if people don't know that you could actually change that over to be a nine millimeter without slot changing the whole slide
1: yep well i can tell you because i i came up with the conversion barrel that was me i did that um i was the first one first company we were the first ones to ever do that where that grew out of i can give you the history of it because it's kind of important why that came about um what i did was is we were um i was down in, in when we were in southern california um, I used to shoot with the guys out at the San Bernardino sheriff's department out at the range out there for years and then they were issued a bunch of Glock 22s and Glock 35s in 40 caliber and 40 cal at that time that was a brand new cartridge there was they couldn't find ammo for it they had. Yeah warehouse is full of nine millimeter but they didn't have any 40 stuff so they were having a real hard time getting some 40 ammo to be able to shoot and and practice with so we were sitting around and you know we might have been having a couple of beers and just kind of hanging out yes in the <laughs> and here and there you know yeah. um, which we always did after we got done shooting we'd go over to a place and have a little lunch or, or early dinner and sure. have a beer or two you know and um they were going man it'd be really nice to shoot all that nine millimeter through these guns so we could practice with them i went Hmm. Okay. Um, one of the, um, corporals over there was a good friend of mine. He had a, of all things, he had a Glock 24 long slider, one of the originals. I said, give me your gun. I'm going to take it back and I'm going to try a nine conversion in it and see what I can do. So we machined the OD and all the externals as an, you know, as the 40 caliber dimensions with the nine millimeter bore, stuck it on the gun. Um, I took it out to the range and tested it and it was like, that works really good you know, it extracts and ejects. I just put a Glock 17 magazine in there, boom, ready to yeah. roll. And so um, that's where the conversion barrel thing came from. So then I put it on our Glock 23 and our Glock 22 and man, they ran great. Um, and then we put them on, um, you know, then we were, you know, at that time and then 357 SIG kind of came rolling in and it was like, oh, I can make conversion barrels on the 40s for that. And so we did that. And then that, that's how that kind of came out. And then the other conversion deal was um, with the SIG 229. Remember when, the, when yep. the first group of SIG 229s came in? They were all 357 SIG, no yeah. ammo available. So we were doing 40 caliber replacement barrels. I mean, we sold bucket loads of 40 caliber replacement barrels because they could get ammo for them. Well, at the same time, I was working on that nine conversion and um, Jack over On Target, who I think most people know is the guy that was the. Um, the one that did the, that, um, was in that church shooting, you know, he, he has been a customer of ours forever. And, um, he called and said, Hey, why don't you do a conversion barrel for that and I'll test it and all that kind of stuff. So we did those and that's, we sell, you know, our biggest conversion barrel sales now are the two, two nines of all things. So, but, um, that's where all that conversion came from. So you basically on everything that's kind of like an external extractor, um, in forty or, or what have you, even in ten if you can get a magazine for it, but that's most yeah. of the tens you can't. Um, but all the forty caliber stuff pretty much has nine millimeter has a nine millimeter, you know, clone or or partner, so you can just use their magazines in it. Um, you can do that conversion on. So we sell a
0: lot of those. We do a lot of them. So it's exciting look at conversion barrels because, um, like I said earlier, I, I was one of the ones that went from 9 to 40 and then back to 9. But at the time, I was still in the Glock world. Right. Uh, I shot a Glock. I, I, when I turned 21, I bought a Glock 17, um, and that's right. when I started doing competition shooting with that gun. But then I went, you know, I wanted to go up into the 40 world, so I got a Glock 22. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was doing traveling for work and things like that. So, you know, at night, I would just go find a gun range and, you know, I'd just go burn some ammo. And um, I remember going, hey, they, there's these conversion barrels. These are really kind of cool because I can shoot cheaper 9mm through this Glock 22 when I'm out on the road, right? Yep. And then when I'm done, I can go back to my hotel room, clean it up, just put my forty caliber barrel back into it, and there's my... There's my carry gun back. And that was just like the coolest thing. So I'm like, when I first bought it, I was like, is this really going to work? You know, I mean, I get that we're only talking about a millimeter difference, but I mean, and that thing was just eating that nine millimeter ammo up because it was great. It was at clock 22 is I still had the magazines for my clock 17. So I just had all the nine millimeter mags and I just run right through the same frame. Yeah.
1: And the slides are and, a heavier on those. It shoots it a little softer,
0: you know? Yeah. I like, this is, this is really cool. You know, when, when this came out, this is, this is like the best of both worlds. Cause you really have two guns and all you need to do is swap out your mag and your barrel. Yep. And you got right. a whole new gun, but it's still the same gun.
1: <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: So that so. was, that, that was just the coolest thing when you came out with that. I, I, I had, it, it was one of those things I went, I had to have that. <laughs> I, just, I just had to have it. Yep. Yep. Um, and uh, it, it's at the time it solved all my problems. And now, yeah. I, I left the Glock world. And it was funny you mentioned the 229 because um, I've been banging, <clears throat> excuse me, I've been banging away on computer keyboards since I was real little. And carpal tunnels now kind of a thing, right? Yeah. So Glocks are not ergonomic. <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, so I went love, th- love
1: love love Glock for what it is, but definitely yeah. a um, more of a brick than a you know ergonomic yeah. gun for me, anyways. You know,
0: uh, for me as well. And then uh, so I went to the Sig World, and I went to the Sig two two nine. Right. Unfortunately, uh, they were in forties then. Um, but yeah, I remember the 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 whole thing with you know because that was the Secret Service gun, right? The two two nine was. Yep. The Secret Service wanted it in 357 Sig. Mm-hmm. So that's how it came out. Um, and then later 40 and then even nine millimeter. Um, yeah. But it was just really cool to see, you know, that was just a completely new thing. I mean, I didn't even think about it. Cause I, I remember going, well, you know, I, I know a 22 is just a 17 with a 20, you know, with a 40 caliber slide and barrel. I was thinking, i just buy another sliding barrel, but then I saw the conversion barrel. I went, oh, that's, even, that's an even better solution.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: P- plus, it's a it's a match grade barrel. You know? <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> it's a, that it's always a better helps. barrel. Um, and then also, at the time, I was also casting. Well, you right. can't shoot. Well, you can. Trust me, you can shoot cast bullets through a Glock. That doesn't go very well right it just no, it doesn't no. work out and
1: yeah. that was
0: the greatest thing about your barrels that now i can shoot cast bullets mm-hmm. through it
1: yep yeah. do you know the was... reason do you know the reason why you can't shoot cast bullets through the glock barrels
0: it's the rifling the hexagonal rifling isn't it
1: it's actually the coating on the inside of the barrel oh, wow what is happens it? is yeah it's very interesting this is one of those things that you have over the years, you learn, you know, back then, why are they, why are they rupturing? Why are they, they popping and, and doing all that? Well, what happens is, is Glock puts a very hard coating on their barrel, really hard. It's a nitride. It's done over, you know, it was done overseas at the time. And when you fire a barrel, pistol barrel expands and contracts, It expands and contracts. Well, that hard coating doesn't expand at the same rate that the material on the inside expands. So what it does is Ah. it does microscopic, very microscopic cracks. And then as you shoot lead, that lead fills in those microscopic cracks. And then eventually it destroys the integrity of that. They were using that coating to help hold the barrel together because underneath that is a very soft material. And eventually it would expand and then go (laughs) and break. And that's how that's where that that's why they no lead in there.
0: So the lead was basically filling in the cracks, then with the pressure of all your other rounds going through, it was basically acting like a witch. Correct. Correct. Wow. (laughs) I I did not know that. That's yeah. See, you always say you learn something new every day. I that's something I had no idea about.
1: Yep. Yep. Um, That's where um I was I kind of was involved in some of that stuff. So I kind of knew, you know, I was I was brought in on the fold on some of that. So that was interesting.
0: That is yeah, that's really cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, while we're on the Glock subject, okay, why is it important to know whether you have a Gen 5 slide or a pre-Gen 5 slide when you order a barrel? Well, we'll start
1: with the 9mm version stuff. Basically, okay. um, the Gen 5 Glock 17, Gen 5 Glock 34s have a cam that is different that's basically the same as a glock 19. they basically because they used there's two sizes of cams on on glock barrels generally there's a small cam which was used to be for only their compact guns and then there's a, a big cam which is a wider cam um, for the full-size guns the 17s on up well, on the gen 5 they took and basically took glock 19 barrel and stretched it for 17 and a 34 so that's why you have to know if you have on the um the gen 5 version you have to say that because the cams are different and then on the glock 22s and 23s they changed the barrel diameter um this here that picture on the website that you're showing is basically it just it's a standard glock 22 barrel it's not the gen 5 version per se but your barrel diameter is different on the Gen 5 Glock 22s and Glock 23s and then the cam location is is different it's the small cam location like on their 23 on their old 23 barrels so you have to know the difference because the ones they're too small on the diameter compared to the the Gen 5 stuff so that's why you have to know that
0: okay so because that's that was always a thing is you know I left the Glock world back in Gen 3 Right. Um, And, you know, I start hearing Gen 4, I'm like, okay, Gen 5, you start hearing these new generations. And then now all of a sudden at Gen 5, I'm like, you know, since I've I've got to catch my knowledge up, why is it, what did they change that now suddenly you need to understand, you know, you have four generations of Glock all the same barrel, then suddenly there's now a Gen 5 barrel. and, And it's like, you know, Glock is really good at standardizing things, but it's like, yeah, what I, did they update?
1: I, I can't. I haven't figured out why they did it. You know, I'm sure. I would guess because Glock's very money conscious and manufacturing yeah. efficient. So I'm assuming that it has something to do with that. Um, i you know, I'm not sure what because I understood the 17s and the 34s because they could just make one length barrel and then cut it off for the 26 um the 19 the 17 and the and the 34. i understood that that made sense what i didn't quite understand was when they did the 23 and the 22 and they changed the barrel diameter and the cam location on the 22 and then also kind of the barrel width and locking groove and some of those things i didn't i i haven't quite figured out why because it doesn't the barrel diameter fits in with their their um long slide um, 45 but and the glock 36 but it's not the same caliber it's a 40 caliber bore it doesn't fit with their 20 their 20s um in their long slide um 10 millimeter guns at all or their 29 so i don't know i'm not sure why they did that uh, it, i'm not sure what that is because that's kind of like boom here's a complete oddity in a whole area where you could have standardized, you know? So I don't yeah. know. I have, I am I'm I not sure why they did it. It doesn't, it doesn't make it any better. You know, it's not, well, it's just different.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe they, they did it just to force the aftermarket to catch up with them on something. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> it could be,
1: I, you know, I mean, it's, it is Glock, you know?
0: I mean, yeah, that's the one thing that Glock, um that's the one thing with Glock is, it drove an entire aftermarket community to the point where you can have a Glock and not have one Glock part in it. Yeah, yeah, um, really, that's true. I mean, they just, they drove, and that, it makes you wonder if every once in a while they just throw something out like that just to screw with the market. Yeah. So, oh. guys, figure, yep. figure this sit, one out. Sit,
1: yeah, sitting back going, ha, watch this. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, which is fine. I mean, for us, it's great. It's easy. Cause we do everything yeah. here in house for a lot of these guys that import or have stuff made from a shop somewhere else and then bring it in, maybe do a couple of final machining cuts and then call it theirs. It's much more difficult to get the shop that you've got running your stuff for you. Yeah. Hey, we need to you retool. to change. Yeah. To retool and change this for Definitely. us. I just go over and go, okay, I'm going to punch it into the lathe. We're now doing it six ten diameter. Okay. And we're moving a cam here and call it good. You know, it, it, it's it's not a, it, if you're already in production with that kind of stuff, changing a few of those dimensions for us is not a huge issue. You know, um, if we have to retool and do a complete whole new barrel, that's, that takes a lot more time. But right. um, some of those minor dimension change or things like that aren't too bad, so.
0: Now you said it a couple of times and I know the answer, but where is here?
1: Where is here? Here is <laughs> is Sturgis, South Dakota. Um, we, we
0: all your products there. are made right behind you there, right?
1: That's right, right behind me and over here. You know, <laughs> so, um, yep, we got a we got ten thousand square foot, um, and we got you know quite a few, um, you know we we pr- primarily use Haws machines, um, and then we also still have manuals strewed throughout the shop here and there for doing different operations do all of our rifling in-house all of our gun drilling honing and all that kind of stuff in-house also so awesome
0: now other you know we took up a lot of time talking about barrels right other than barrels you also do some gunsmithing services
1: yes yes you might Uh, talk
0: a little bit about those
1: sure sure um we pretty much you know a lot of the stuff that's on the glocks You know, I started with 20 some odd years ago. We'll just say grip reductions. Um, There was a guy that was a good friend of mine. His name was um, Aaron Harris. Um, He had, um, we were, you know, I was, when I was with that San Bernardino Sheriff's group, when we were messing around with them, they were shooting 34s in the the Glock competitions and stuff. And I just couldn't stand the grip. So we we ground them and re- contoured them which is basically being done by everybody now um and and then stippled them and he had he was doing some stippling i was doing a little bit of stippling and so he you know we kind of worked together on the undercuts and the up on the back side of the um the the frames and things like that and so i've been doing you know i took i was the first one to do this kind of stippling and in a large scale. In other words, I took them to the shot show and showed them and everything. So really Aaron is kind of the one that did, that started a lot of it. And then we kind of took it from there and me and him worked together on, on changing some things and doing some stuff. And then it's just grown out to where everybody's doing it now. Um, so for the Glock stuff, um, you know, we did the double undercuts and, and, and those kind of things and did the stippling and all that. Um, and then of course, we did trigger work back then. There wasn't any aftermarket triggers or any aftermarket yeah. parts and pieces. So we just would modify and clean up and put, we put over travel stops inside the frame, you know, and that kind of thing. And then came up with the idea, let's do some triggers, make triggers that are, that are flat and those kind of things. So that stuff's progressed there. Um, so, but we'll do just about anything on the Glocks that you want, you know, I mean, low mount sites, cut RMR cuts or, you know, dot cuts. Um, yeah, we'll do you know we'll do porting in the slides we do some fancy cuts in the slides i won't go too far because it makes it it doesn't make it shootable it makes it look good but yeah. it makes it shoot like in my opinion it makes it shoot like crap um and then you know we do obviously we do all the sig work um, we use we primarily use gray guns um trigger groups okay. um on the Sig on the sig stuff um and of course sights low mounts and things like that um XDs, I came up. You know, Daniel from Powder River is a good friend of mine, um, and I use his triggers. But actually, that was my trigger because he used to work for me for a year, and we kind of came. By, I used to call it the shark trigger. I'd weld up the back of a of a st- of the, the the factory steel triggers, and then recut it and flatten it and all that. And then when he went to start his own place, said you need to you know make these because we just didn't have time. And so he started making those. And then the grip safeties on the XDs, I actually came up with that, the original grip safeties with the little bump on them, you know, to make them a little better to grab now that now it's actually a standard line with Springfield and everything. Um, and then so I we do all the af, we do all the full house XD stuff, been doing that since day one. Um, and then, of course, we do um, we've been doing a lot more CZ stuff. We do, You know, we make a lot of the CZ Shadow 2s, SPO1s, CZ 75Bs. We do the PO1s, the compacts. Um, We do um, barrels form, of course, for all of those extended and threaded for suppressor. Um, We'll do low mounts for dots on them. Um, I actually worked with um, Dave Dawson over at Dawson Precision. We actually now have a set of... um, suppressor height sites for the CZ shadow. Nice. Fixed sites, which really have, nobody had before. Um, so we offer those now. And of course we have the barrels, of course, for those. Um, Browning High Power, which obviously now um, Springfield Armory and EAA Gerson, um, yep. they both have them. And we've always done Browning High Powers. I actually used to compete with Browning High Power for about um, seven, eight years. Um, Beaver tails and and mag and sights and triggers and all that but we make barrels for those we've made those for years and those are the ones that do a lot of gunsmithing on those had a lot of experience in those because that's what I used to shoot competition with so built a lot Plus, of the they've ones. been around for a while they have they have um built a lot of those um obviously 1911 stuff from bare basic minimalist all the way up the full house um we do a lot i for years i was building a lot of long slide 10 millimeter guns for hunting guns And now all of a sudden in the past what probably two years or so the 10 millimeters exploded again the long slide guns but i've been building those for 20 some odd years you know um so we did we do a lot of that i mean honestly we do just about everything you could think of with all the major stuff we do the little subcompact guns 365s do a lot of 365 work a lot of barrel work on those um You know all the different glock versions and things like that so i mean we're kind of like you could send it in and we can be a full we can be a one-stop shop for people if they want you know so
0: now now because you're essentially a gun dealer Mm -hmm. um someone could ship a gun directly to you and get it back from you depending on their state laws obviously correct Mm -hmm. um federally that's that's you can do that because you're a gunsmith and you're doing gunsmithing activities on that gun right so um and i saw on your web page earlier today that you have a whole nice uh description about how to send a gun in um and to make sure that you send a gun lock with it (laughs) yes please (laughs) that was uh for people don't understand how annoying that is uh yeah me. as an ffl uh when i was an ffl getting a used gun in and having to pull a gun lock out to give to someone because the ATF said I had to do it. Yep. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I know. Uh, and it doesn't
0: have to be on the gun though. You no, know, it doesn't. It gun, just, just throw just it in has the to box. Be there. Yep. Just, just throw it in there and, <laughs> yep, yep. and uh, definitely make sure everybody's life is a little easier when you do that. Yes. Um, so about, I, I mean, I know this is a hard question to ask, uh, answer, about how long does it take you to do a turnaround let's just say a barrel fitting
1: um depending on how busy we are of course how many guns we have backed up we usually get the the barrel fittings in and out and about if you know say they order the barrel uh, we notify them to send the gun in when we get the barrel done because we're making it we pretty much make make the order we don't really stock a whole lot because we just can't right now um so you call in we or email or whatever and we start making the barrel when it's done we'll notify you when to send the gun in. It's usually about 3 to 4 weeks, maybe a little longer if we're depending on how backed up we are. We try to keep that's it actually, within that range, you know.
0: That's actually not bad considering. Yeah. I mean yeah. I mean that and that's the advantage you have is that you, you know, before you get the gun you can have the barrel made so when the gun shows up you're ready to go.
1: Exactly. And then and just everybody knows we go out and we test fire everything That we put a barrel in and we fit. So we don't just put a barrel in, box it up, and send it out. We actually go out to the range. We shoot 20 rounds through each gun. Um, And it's factory ammo. It could be federal, it could be spear, it could be Winchester. It's all factory standard stuff, you know. And if there's even a glitch, even okay, maybe we bring it back, we do a little adjustment if we need to, and then we go back out to the range again and shoot it again. A lot of people think that we don't shoot them, I guess, but we do. We shoot everything, you know?
0: And I don't think people really understand that about gunsmiths is that if you have a gunsmith that won't fire or does not fire the gun that they do work on, that is not the gunsmith you want to work with.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I I get that all the time, which amazes me. And obviously amazes you too. You, well, did he shoot it? Well, no, he just put the barrel in and gave it back to me well how do yeah. you know it works you yeah, know exactly. I mean i mean really I, and 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 then well you look at it and it's like okay well they they screw the barrel up when they fit it and yeah and then it's always our fault you know most of the time yep. you know so yeah it, and that's the, that's the problem that a lot of us go go through i think that that actually take stuff out and shoot them and test them and and things like that you know we don't want to we don't want to take the gun Fit it up, go through all the work of going out to the range shooting it, come back, and then send it back yeah. to the customer. You know, and then have them go, oh well, it's not working now. You know, yeah. I, we're not. That's not what we're in business for. We want you to take the gun, and I love hearing from the customers, but I would love, we send them the gun back and never hear from them again on that gun because it's working fine and no it's issues. great.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, that's yeah. the that's the goal. That's what we want to do. You know, doesn't serve anybody any purpose of us sent doing a you know half assed job and then you know then having it go okay well you know or that it, it's not working that, that doesn't do any good you know so
0: yeah because and, and that's I mean that's the difference between you know Billy Joe Bob's gunsmithing you know next door neighbor gunsmithing um on the kitchen table versus an actual gunsmith is you know unless unless you're moving sites, Right. And then even then you probably still want to test fire just to make sure that sites are staying on the slide. Yeah, yeah. Um It's you want to get that, you want to get that gun out there and operate because you know, it, it, one of the first rules of gunsmithing is, is that you never release a gun that you yourself would not shoot. Correct. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, how do you know that gun is safe and, <laughs> yep. and works yep. and all that stuff. So you want to make sure that, you know, If you're going to get work done, make sure you do your check. Check out your gunsmith. Yep. Um, And that's kind of the advantage with with you you know being a gunsmith is that, again, depending on state laws, I can ship you a gun directly and I can get it back directly. I don't have to go through my local FFL and pay transfer in and out.
1: Correct. Correct. Yep. And the biggest you know the biggest issue for everybody I think nowadays really about shipping the gun is the cost you know because yes. a handgun has to go next to air unfortunately yep. it does um and we can't get around that and we've get a lot of people this is something probably should touch on real quick just because we get a lot of people that send their guns in through the post office and they're not ffls and technically gives, that's uh, against you the law do, you can't yeah. do that and no no yeah and so the post office we have a mailbox out front you don't know how many times we've had a gun stuck in the post office in there, in a, you know, in one of those little boxes <laughs> and they just stick it in the mailbox, close the door and go on because the person delivering it doesn't know, you know, and it's well, like, they're lucky we're in South Dakota out here where that nobody really pays attention to that stuff, you know?
0: So, so I got a, I got a funny story about that. Um, you know, FFLs can ship postal service. I mean, right. I, when I, I, I that's actually how I did a lot of outbound tra- transfers because it was cheaper to pay my transfer fee and pay the postage than it was to go down to UPS or FedEx to ship something next day air. Right. Well, I, when I would get guns in, um, a, lot, a lot of times I would get like police trade-ins and stuff like that. Yeah. There's one place that was right after um, Sandy Hook. So, okay. you know, the gun industry went nuts. Yeah. Um you know that was like literally, if you were a gun dealer on January first, if you had a gun on your shelf, you would never buy that gun again, again because you found the gun that literally nobody wanted. Yeah. Um. So I had fa- I was before Sandy Hook went off, I had found a a place that was doing um, uh, they were doing trade outs mm-hmm. of Glocks. Um. You know they were big they were big, they weren't really a distributor, but they were just a really big dealer. So they were doing part of their trade outs was is that you know they'd sell the agency the new gun, but they would get the old ones back. And then, you know, they'd sell them back as, you know, trade in guns. So I was getting these Glocks in and then, um, got a great price on them. They were coming with a three mags. Um, so it was an awesome deal. And then Sandy hook went off and then all of a sudden everybody went nuts for buying everything. Um, I was selling these on an online auction and, uh, you know i was getting calls i was getting calls from dealers like how do how, can you, will you do a dealer dealer sale i'm like yeah sure and they're like uh how many would we have can we get and i'm like how many do you want and they're like can we get 20 i'm like looking on distributor going yeah i can do that yeah <laughs> and I, so we had to have a talk with our with our our uh our letter carrier because i had an order of 40 glocks come in in two flat rate boxes and they're just sitting on the mailbox (laughs) (laughs) And, and you know we live in a neighborhood of uh what's there like 200 houses here right and the mailbox is on the other side of you know the neighborhood here so it's not like i can even see them yeah and we're like hey um Now that they're supposed to send them signature signature required, right? Um, they didn't, (laughs) but uh, I talked to a letter carrier going, Hey, um, actually, my wife did. She goes, Hey, can you do us a favor and not leave packages on top of the mailbox like that? And she's like, Well, you know, this is what we do. And I she goes, We realized, but you left 40 handguns sitting. And she, my my wife said her jaw just dropped, like, (laughs) What. (laughs) <laughs> yeah my, my husband's a gun dealer um and she's like ever since then our letter carriers like they, they would bring packages to the house, if to it, the house it ever yeah. was, anything unless it had like amazon on it they were they were bringing it to the house <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> but yeah it, it's yeah people do not ship through the postal service you can get in no. trouble fast because when you ship you can ship a long gun through postal service exactly handguns correct and correct. then as an FFL, when I would do ship guns out, you have to declare that there's a yep. firearm in there if it's a pistol. Right. and there's yep. a special form you have to fill out for that. Correct. Correct. You do not want to get in trouble with a postal inspector. No,
1: no you do not.
0: <laughs> um, not at all. Because, because not only are you now in postal viol- regulation violations, you will have all other kind of agencies that want a piece of you at that point. That's correct. So That's correct. Do it right.
1: <laughs> That's it. That's it.
0: When you, when you ship guns uh, guns to IRV, make sure you do it right. Please, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, so IRV, how can people find you?
1: Um, you can Obviously, you can call us, um, 605-720-4000. Um, you can go to our website. It's the old school, www.barsto.com. It's an old, one of the originals. Um, You can email us at um, barstowinfo at uia.net. And you can stop by at 3571 Hanson Avenue in Sturgis, South Dakota. Um, We give nickel tours all the time. So if you're ever in the neighborhood, if you're out here for the rally or you're riding in the Black Hills or you're visiting Mount Rushmore or anything like that and you want to stop by, swing on in where our doors are open pretty much all the time when we're here, so.
0: So it kills me is that before I became a gun dealer and even knew that you were there, um, actually, you probably weren't in South Dakota at that time when I did that. So this would be almost 20 years ago. So Yeah, yeah. we weren't here yet. You <laughs> we weren't there yet. Oh, yeah. I didn't get ready to say I missed the opportunity to go through Barstow. That's right.
1: <laughs> well, you're, you're still, I'm going to be actually riding up by you um, this year, um, just south. You Know just a little short of hell and up that way, so
0: if you do, let me know. We'll, okay, we'll go shooting, we'll yeah. Go, uh, we'll go, we'll go, we'll go up in the hills and put some lead into a berm.
1: That'd be fun, that'd be fun if I got time. Absolutely. Definitely, yeah, absolutely.
0: So, we're getting to the end here, and I want to be mm-hmm. respectful of your time because I know you got a startup shop there. Um, I want to speed round with you real quick, okay? So, 1911. Or Beretta 92.
1: 1911.
0: pump action shotgun or semi automatic shotgun,
1: eight seventy pump or a oh or a there you standard. go yep or a hold my, high my, standard.
0: My uh my first shotgun um actually my first gun ever was an eight seventy Wingmaster. And That's I what I hunt have that
1: gun. That's what I hunt yeah. with every year. I've
0: great I've shotgun.
1: Shot, oh I love it. I've 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 got tens of thousands of rounds through this gun. It's had to been rebuilt yeah. a few times so. That was my first gun, too.
0: That's an awesome gun. Steel targets or paper
1: targets? Um, Paper. Okay.
0: AK-47 or AR-15? AK-47. Wow. I would have, with 1911, I would have thought AR-15 for you.
1: Uh, I just, uh, you know, um, we're t- just plain and simple. What's the, um, what runs that I can beat the hell out of and would still run.
0: Yep. And And that will do it. That'll do it. (laughs) You know? So on the end of your gun, Uh we'll assume a long gun. Okay. Suppressor or flash hider?
1: Can I say neither? Oh, you can. Okay. Neither.
0: You would be, you would be the first on that one. I know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and if you could only have one gun for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: Eight seventy pump shotgun.
0: There you go. You're going back to that eight seventy.
1: Absolutely. Cause I I did um I I shot it I did the um um gun site um with okay. Louis Aubach at the um I did the five day shotgun course. Um and I've always been a shotgun guy, always have. Um, and learned more in regards to, um, slug shooting and the ability that I could, that, and the things that I was able to do even better with that 870 pump and that I could do just about everything I need to do with that.
0: So, so I think, and I think that's the one thing, you know, we'll, we'll just assume prepper talk where people right. talk about, Oh, I have my long range and all that stuff.
1: Yeah.
0: Honestly, I think the shotgun is the best all-round gun because um, you can hunt birds with it, right? Yep. You you, you can go all the way up to buckshot and then slugs. Exactly. I mean, you know, I have a uh, back when I was casting, I was making one ounce slugs. Yeah. And if you have never seen the damage a one ounce slug can do to something, yeah man you're missing out. Yes you are. Yes you are. I mean that's a that's a really big thud when it hits.
1: Yes it um, is. Yes it is.
0: And and if you're a steel shooter, it makes an awesome sound.
1: Oh it does. It does. And <laughs> it's just great.
0: So Irv, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk to me today. Um oh, you're welcome. for those of you watching and listening, I'll have all of the links down below and then Irv's phone number down there in the uh in the description. So that way you can get a hold of Irv. Irv, have a great have a great weekend and and definitely uh keep cranking out some awesome products. All right. Well, thank you very
1: much. And like they can always call, I answer the phones too. So I'm here.
0: Except for when you're on a podcast with me exactly (laughs) I had a really good time talking to Irv we talked before the podcast and we talked a little bit afterwards and you know he's just a very genuine person what you see is what you get with Irv and he's, he's easy to talk to and it's funny after the podcast I had mentioned to him I go you know he's got that voice of an announcer I mean If he had a podcast, just his voice alone would be awesome to listen to. Irv's got some really great products. Go check out Barstow. The links are down below in the description and check out the barrels because I have worked with those barrels before and um, really they're the real deal. Definitely go check them out. If you like the work that I do here, please consider supporting me for free by shopping my affiliate links and banners at www.trb.fyi. There's also going to be a link down below that'll take you to a web page that will take you to all those links as well. We would really appreciate you do your online shopping by clicking those links before you go shopping. That way a small percentage of your purchase will come back to the channel so I can continue to bring you additional content and it's not going to cost you anything more than you were already going to spend. Now, if you'd like to make a direct donation to the channel, you can do so by going to www.trb.fyi. And on the right hand side of your screen, a little farther down, you'll see make a donation. From there, you can use PayPal to make a donation to help me bring additional content. Another way that you can support the work that I do here is by becoming a patron on Patreon. For as little as $1 per month, you can help me bring additional content. It's real simple. Just go out there, make a Patreon account, and then just do your pledge. Now my patrons get to see content before it's released. So that's a perk of being a patron on Patreon. Thanks for listening. Hope you're staying safe out there, and I look forward to talking to you again soon.